I think you all know me, but in case you're like watching online and you don't know me, I'm Dan Roca. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway Church. And uh, really, I really do feel privileged every time I get to speak, and uh, it's uh, less frequent these days, but um, I really enjoy speaking and uh, consider it a, uh, yeah, a great privilege to, to do that. So I don't love to, you know, start with a food illustration at 1045, but sorry, here we go. <laughs> um, have you ever had a really good sandwich? And you'll find out why I'm doing this food illustration. It, it's, it's like a must. I, I have to do this. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, so you may disagree, but I, what I find is necessary for a really good sandwich is not just the ingredients that's inside. They're, that's important, right? But you got to have good bread. Like a truly great sandwich has good ingredients and great bread. And I'm sorry for anybody that can't eat like really good bread or you're like gluten-free or keto or whatever restrictions you have. And maybe you've, you're like that and you found good bread and you, you consider it fantastic. That's wonderful. Uh, that, that's great. Um, but I, d I just had a grilled ham and cheese sandwich yesterday, but it was like low-carb bread. It was deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Now, I was, born, I was born and raised in New England, and I have to tell you, the best steak plus cheese combination is the Philly cheese steak from Philly. I love a steak and cheese in New England. It's good, but a really good steak and cheese combo, you know, Philly cheese steak. You've got to have the Philly cheese steak. You really can't get anything like it around here unless you make it yourself. Part of it's the really good bread. The right kind of bread. And then, of course, the meat is seasoned perfectly as well. Load that up with cheese, and that's, uh, that's some good stuff. And, uh, but like it, it, any of the pizza shops or, or sub shops that just haven't found in New England something quite like the Philly cheesesteak from Philly. And I'm not sure why, because it's not like we don't have good bread. But anyway. Next topic is, uh, you know, what about open-faced sandwiches? Those are good too, right? I like a, an open-faced, you know, turkey sandwich, but let's be honest. That's not really a sandwich, is it? Sandwich, you've got to be able to, like, pick it up. And uh, open-faced turkey sandwich, while it has sandwich in the name, it's really just not a sandwich. You can't have bread on one side and call that a sandwich. <laughs> now, Mark, the author of the gospel, he is a master sandwich maker. Have you ever heard of the Markin sandwich? It's maybe a little bit like a Cuban sandwich, but it's a Markin sandwich. No, not really. It's nothing like a Cuban sandwich. This is sometimes where those headings in your Bible uh, uh, are unhelpful. <laughs> Many of them put verses 20 and 21. That's the start of this sandwich. That's the top piece of bread there uh, with the previous section. Uh, but it's important that, see, if we in, include uh, 20 and 21 in the previous section, that's, uh, that's sort of like the open-faced turkey sandwich. We, uh, we're missing one of the pieces of bread. And this is good bread. We've got to include it. So Mark does this, this sandwich with two excellent pieces of bread, two mini-stories interrupted by another story. And you'll see as I read, and you... Uh, that 
that maybe if you're not paying attention, these things seem totally unrelated. But the bread on the outside and the meat in the middle, it's the middle portion, these are key to understanding this whole thing. So let's, let's read and get to what I'm talking about here. So Mark 3, verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And then the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called to them, to him, they called, sorry, he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the craftsmanship that uh, this author, Mark, has, has made with the hand of your Holy Spirit as well, Lord. That we can see what you're trying to tell us, Lord. As if, we, if we delve into this passage, Lord, help us to see what Jesus is saying. Help us to believe Help us to do what you want us to do. So Lord, soften our hearts as we examine your word this morning, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to be able to hear you and to see you for who you are and for the message that you're trying to give us to this, uh, this morning. Holy Spirit, fill us up with your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the reasons we can tell this is a Mark and sandwich is a common feature of the Gospel of Mark, uh, is repeated words. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit of how do you can do this on your own if you're trying to do so. Um, some repeated words that I used in this uh, section is like, well, let me, let me tell you this. So it's not just words, but also sometimes it's ideas and concepts. So it's not always the exact same word that's used. So for instance, Home is used in verse 20, house in verse 25 and 27. And then 
the opposite of that, outside, right? It doesn't talk about house in verses 31 and 32, the, the ending chapters or ending verses. It talks about outside, but outside what? It's outside the house. So you see that we have some contrasts there as well. We have the crowd in verse 20, and the crowd again in verse 32. And we have family in verse 21, right, when his family had heard it. And then in verses uh, 31, 33, 35, mother and brothers and, and sister. So you see, the, not the same words are used. So you can do this even if you don't study Greek or you, you don't know Greek or, or Hebrew. Um, you can use your English Bibles. One of the things that you need to do, though, is to read and reread and re-re-read. Just read it. I've read this chapter a whole lot, or this group of verses a whole lot in preparing. And that's what, that's what it takes, is a little bit of trying to get that into you, trying to see what you didn't see the first time or the second time or the third time, etc. And... Because there's a structure in the Mark stories, um, it really helps us to understand what he's talking about. This isn't like an academic exercise where you, like, you know, in English class, remember uh, mapping out the, the sentences and you try to write the structure of those sentences or mapping out the paragraph and try to figure out the opening clause and this and that. I mean, that's nice, but who cares? <laughs> What we care about is understanding Mark. And for Mark, especially, I think this does apply to, to really all of Scripture, but I think especially for Mark, understanding the structure, seeing the structure helps us to understand what Mark is talking about. If we miss the structure, we might miss his main point. We might get some of the side points, but you might miss his main point. And it's really a key to practically understanding the message that he's trying to tell you. And, you know, I think Mark, I think Bauer probably mentioned this as well, uh, but Mark sometimes criticized the, the gospel of Mark. He's criticized as being kind of uneducated, uh, the smallest gospel, uh, the simplistic writer, um, etc. And those things are kind of true, you know, he's somewhat uneducated, his Greek is not the best syntax and um, <laughs> doesn't always agree with itself, that's okay. Uh, this is the smallest gospel, he does write very simply, um, but this gospel is also evidence of genius in writing. Like he might not have been the most educated, but he's very good at it. You know, maybe that's all the Holy Spirit, like, just guiding him to do this, and he's just writing what the Holy Spirit wants him to write. But I think you can see the difference in personalities in each of the Gospels, right? So the Holy Spirit is using the personality and the skills of each of these writers. Mark is skilled with these structural features of such thing as Mark and sandwich. He has other features as well, but this one is a sandwich. And so I... Love the Gospel of Mark. It's one of my favorite Gospels. I'll probably say that to each Gospel that we preach, but <laughs> I love Mark, and you should too. <clears throat> We're going to get right into this, though, and rather than sharing my main theme for this uh, passage, I'll share that at the end and see if you can guess what that's going to be or approximate what that might be. So we're going to start with a structure. Um, 
this is a, a house divided. The first, that's uh, verses 20, 2021. 20, uh, the binding of a strong man and his house, verses 22 and 23, and a new house, uh, 31 to 35. So it's a pretty simple structure, um, as you'll see. But we get to the first part, a house divided. Jesus' family is really not sure what to think of him at this point. It's, uh, you know, it's one thing uh, to be a teacher and have crowds gather all around you, do lots of teaching, and, and uh, that's something to celebrate. But let's read the circumstances here, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went to, out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. You know, there was such a crowd. Can you imagine how dense that house was popular? It was probably really warm and, and kind of uh, humid <laughs> from, from all the people there. Uh, but uh, there's, there's this crowd that's gathered, and it's so dense, and it lasted so long that they couldn't even eat. And Jesus didn't tell them to, okay, go away. You know, I, I got to go do stuff. Um, he didn't say, okay, let's take a break, uh, come back after dinner, after lunch. Um, didn't, didn't say that either. You know, imagine if I started preaching at, you know, 11 here and I kept on preaching and kept on speaking and past noon, past 3 p.m., past dinner time, um, and I kept on speaking and there was no signs of me stopping anytime soon. And more than that, the crowd just kept on listening and they didn't get up. They didn't get up, uh, get up to, to leave and have their lunch or, or dinner. They just kept on listening. And this is a dense crowd, kind of the opposite of today. <laughs> That's okay. Um, something amazing was happening here as Jesus was speaking. Why, why would a crowd listen for so long? Why wouldn't they just go home after a while? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they take a break at least, come back after they ate? I think it's because they saw and they heard something amazing and they didn't want to miss a minute of it. But the response of Jesus' family wasn't one of support or amazement like the crowd. They sought to seize him, verse 21. They to, to bind him, to put a stop to what he was doing. They thought he was out of his mind. You know, you can somewhat understand, you know, if, if Jesus is like a normal person and this is going on, uh, then maybe, yeah, the family's a little bit right to, to be concerned. Hey, maybe put a stop to it. Hey, you've got you to gotta eat. You haven't eaten anything for, for a while. So the issue here is really their unbelief. Because maybe they believed that Jesus was special, but not so special that he could speak and teach and heal for hours on end without eating. With a crowd so dense that you couldn't eat. And maybe, maybe they believe that Jesus was special, but not so special that he knows what he's doing and knows how to handle this large crowd of people at the house. And at this point, his family doesn't quite believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or they question some part of that. That he's God come down in human form. They think that they know better than him. And they want to stop him from continuing this. So the issue here is unbelief. 
You know, if, if it's a, I mean, they, they love Jesus. They support him in many ways. They have. But there's some unbelief going on here. And this is a house that is divided, a family that's divided. And this issue of unbelief really brings us into the next section. You see how Mark crafts this story, the binding of a strong man and his house, verse 22 to 30. Binding of a strong man and his house. Now, here in this part of the story, the scribes see Jesus. They see his power. They see his miracles. They see his healings, his casting out of demons. Verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So they don't deny that he has the power. Jesus has the power to cast out demons. But how do they respond? They attribute it to Satan instead of God. They assume the worst possible thing about Jesus. When the truth of it's right there. I mean, Jesus is healing people. He's doing all sorts of good things. And yet the scribes are attributing this to Satan. And these are, these are the educated among the population, and they can't see the truth. Meanwhile, the crowd, which is full of uneducated, full of the poor, the sinners, the regular average people, they can see the truth. Or at least they trust Jesus. Whatever they see, they're following him, they're listening to him. You know, sometimes we think that if only people could see Jesus do works and do miracles, do a healing. If only they could see that, they would believe. But right here in Jesus' day, people did see. And they still didn't believe. And so the issue is not seeing. The issue is believing. It's a matter of the heart. Whether you seeing the evidence right there before you or, or you're hearing about it or you're reading about it in Scripture. If you're like just waiting for the evidence of Jesus so that you can believe, you're waiting for the wrong thing. There's no amount of evidence that's going to convince your heart to believe Jesus. What you need, what I need, what everyone needs is a change of heart so that we can see the evidence. We can see the evidence with eyes to see, hear the evidence with ears to hear. And the fact is, there is ample evidence all around us. Just look at the world and its beauty. I mean, we consider it rainy and, and dreary right now, but rain in its own way is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, it sustains and it gives life, uh, lets the grass grow, lets uh, farms work. And we need water. And the world is beautiful. I mean, look at the night sky, the stars, look at the mountains, all that beauty out there. Does that just happen by chance? No, that's, that's impossible. That's crazy. <laughs> Who could have made that but an almighty God? Another question how could Christianity have spread so rapidly in the midst of persecution if it was based on a lie? If Jesus wasn't really resurrected from the dead, how could that have happened? 
No way, but if it's, except if it's really true. There's all kinds of evidence like that. But if you don't believe, you just don't believe. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. But if you have a heart to believe, you will see the evidence. And you'll, it will encourage you. Oh, yeah, there's so much around. Of course God's real. Of course Jesus is the Son of God. Of course Jesus died and was raised from the dead. We can know in our hearts, have confidence that this is true because there is ample evidence out there. So, getting back to the scribes, Jesus responds to this accusation that he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. Let's, let's read how he responds. He says in verse 23, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If, uh, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. This talk of a kingdom divided and a house of divided uh, should trigger thoughts back to verse 21, right? When we talked about uh, Jesus' family kind of seeking to seize him and bind him. This is where the Mark and Sandwich is really good. <laughs> that bread, that piece of bread, that's good stuff. So Jesus' family and himself are divided in, in some ways here. In a divided house, a divided kingdom will not stand. The same is true for Satan's kingdom in his house. It's true for the kingdom of God and the house of God. It's, but the kingdom of God and the house of God is actually not divided. If it was, how could it stand? And we'll see Jesus' solution in the next section. But first, we have to take a look at all this binding of the strongman business going on. Verse 27 says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. <clears throat> What's Jesus talking about here? I mean, it, it seems somewhat unrelated uh, or like he's, he's switching topics slightly or something like that. But let me ask you, who is the strong man? Who's Jesus talking about? Well, if the strong man is Satan, then what is Jesus doing? What's he doing on earth? If the strong man is Satan, Jesus came to earth to bind Satan so that he could plunder his goods, plunder his house. He came to defeat evil and defeat sin that he might free those who were enslaved to sin and enslaved to the power of Satan. So before Jesus could free the captives, free those who are enslaved to sin, he had to defeat death. He had to pay the ransom for our sins. He had to bind Satan. And Jesus did this in a very unexpected way on the cross, dying for our sins, enduring the punishment that our, that our sins deserved. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us deserved to be in that place on the cross, tortured, beaten, mocked, 
Every one of us deserved death because of our sin against a holy God. So Jesus does exactly what he said he needed to do to put an end to, to Satan's kingdom. He bound the strong man and he plunders his house, not for gold or silver, but a treasure worth far more. A chosen people for his own possession. And Jesus is also the strong man. But Jesus can't be bound. His family can't seize him and stop him. Outsiders like the scribes and Pharisees, they can't bind him. Satan himself can't bind Jesus, though he thought that binding Jesus on the cross would break the house of God. It, it was Jesus' most triumphant moment. And the same thing was the downfall and binding of Satan and his kingdom. And lastly, in this section, we come to a couple verses that I think are widely misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, let me read it for you, 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they're saying he has an unclean spirit. I think one of the problems here is that we can read this um, as if these two verses are detached from the previous section. But they're clearly, I mean, in verse 30, Mark is bringing it all back. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This isn't a different topic. He's talking about the same thing as he was talking about before. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's just what we talked about earlier, the sin of unbelief. The scribes saw Jesus' power, his miracles, his casting out of demons. And they didn't deny that he did these things. They denied that it was God doing these works. They did not believe. They lacked faith. So all, all kinds of sin will be forgiven, but not the sin of unbelief. We are saved by grace through what? Faith through belief. So if you don't believe, how can you have hope to be forgiven? You must believe. And thankfully, there's a, many who now do not believe. They, they lack belief. But at some point in the future, before they die, will come to believe. That's not the sin of unbelief. They turned and repented from that and they will be forgiven. The sin of unbelief is when you continue in your unbelief through death. And that will not be forgiven. Now, why is Jesus warning about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Because he's warning about houses. He's talking about houses, kingdoms. Satan's kingdom and his house are coming to an end. And these scribes are caught up in this collapsing house. They thought that they were in God's house. They're descendants of Abraham. They're, they're good Jews. They follow the, their, their families have been following God for centuries. And they thought that their sin would be forgiven because of that. 
because they're part of this family. But they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, seeing God's work, seeing his miracles, casting out demons, and yet they don't believe. When God came to earth, they didn't believe. When it mattered most, they didn't believe. And so, at least at this point, they don't have forgiveness. In the past, God had been building his kingdom through one nation, Israel, right? Through one people, through families passed down through generations. But now he's building a new house, one that's defined by people who believe in Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he forgives your sin because of his work on the cross. And so we get to the last section, a new house. Jesus is building a new house here. Let's read verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus doesn't give preference to his mother or his brothers. This is actually a pretty unexpected response Jesus has. You know, family is really important to us, right? Um, even in America where we're so individualistic, family is important. It's a value. And it was even more important back in Jesus' day. Right? They, they valued family quite a bit. So when Jesus' family questioned him, it was an opportunity for him to teach his disciples and the crowds that gathered. He taught them this. The relationship between Jesus and his disciples, his followers, and the relationship between his followers and Jesus was even stronger than a family. How can we describe that relationship? Well, family is the best way we can describe that. If you want to be a brother or a sister, a mother to, to Jesus and to his followers, and to be in his family, you must believe in him. You must follow him. And if you're, if you're looking for a family, and maybe you don't have a, a good family, or they're across the other side of the, the world, the church is your family. Maybe if you even do have a good family, still, the church is your family. This group of believers that comes together, it's a higher priority than even your own family. Following Jesus comes before following your family. And I do recognize that this can be a difficult uh, thing at times. Um, you know, many, many people in the world, uh, if they confess Christ, uh, they will be shunned by their family. They'll be ostracized and kicked out of the, the society even, um, kicked out of their family. Uh, some even put in prison or persecuted in other ways. Um, that, that's difficult. But in America, it can be difficult too. It's not necessarily easy. Even if your family is supportive of what you're doing, there are you know, family commitments, family events, family connections, and most of the time, these are all really good things in and of themselves, right? 
But what happens when a family and uh, following Christ conflicts? Now, don't get me wrong. This is not an excuse to like um, neglect your family or your kids or your spouse or to not honor your, your mother and father. Those things are part of following Jesus, right? In order to be a good follower of Jesus, we must uh, take care of our family obligations and, uh, and honor our mother and father as the commandment says to. And I think, actually, I think pastors uh, and missionaries can fall prey to this especially. Leaders in the church can fall prey to, um, to prioritizing the work of pastoring or mission work or whatever over their own family. I've, I've seen some pastor's kids and, and missionary kids um, suffer because of that um, and, and, and be, be neglected. That's, that's not what Jesus is advocating for here. And hopefully my kids don't feel like they're neglected. <laughs> um, but what happens when following Christ conflicts? You know, what happens if a family event conflicts with church or, or life group? And I'm not saying the answer is always to choose church. I'm saying, you know, I, I don't think we have to be legalistic about it. I think the question is, where's your heart? Do you, do you want to be with the people of God? Do you want to be with us? Do you want to uh, do, you, do, you, do you hate missing a, a Sunday because you're on vacation or something comes up that you just can't miss? And, you know, Bauer goes on vacation. We go on vacation. Dave goes on vacation. It's okay to go on vacation. <laughs> um, we, have, we don't have to be legalistic, but we do want to value being here, being with the people of God. This is our family. Uh, so when you do miss, when you have to miss, do you long to see your brothers and sisters at Crossway again? Do you long to see? Do you want to get, oh, I can't wait to get back to, to, to church. You know, our hearts just should be inclined to be with the people of God and encourage each other and, uh, to follow Jesus. I think this passage in Mark is especially for those of you who grew up in the church. So, just like the scribes, you can't assume that you're part of God's house, part of his family. Jesus says in verse 35 that whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So how do you know if you're part of Jesus' family? How do you know if you're part of the kingdom of God? Whoever does the will of God. Jesus is, is, he's even looking at those who are around him. He sees, sees those who are sitting and listening. Part of doing the will of God is to listen to what he says, listening to his word, listening and responding. So don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers too. And the thing is about this is that you're either in this new house that Jesus has built or you're out. There's no middle ground. You know, there's certain things in the world that, that are kind of all or nothing. But there's other things that are kind of middle ground. You know, close only counts in, in horseshoes and hand grenades. You know the saying? You can add like cornhole and, and bocce there. You know, get, getting close matters. <laughs> um, but there's also lots of things in this world. You can understand an all or nothing, right? Um, 
you know, a computer is either on or off. There's no like in between kind of sort of on. Uh, a woman is either pregnant or not. There's no like kind of pregnant. <laughs> you either believe everything that Jesus says in his word or he was a madman and thought he was God and, and he died and a lot of people lied about it. Like there's, there's no in between there. There's no middle ground there. He, he can't just be a, like a good moral teacher to you. That doesn't make sense. And if he, is, if he is just a good moral teacher to you, guess what? You're not on the inside of the house. You're out. Jesus is more than just a teacher. It's more than just a good prophet. He is the son of God. And every verse printed in his word is true. So we must believe it. We must do it. Why? Because, and do you have a guess for the main theme of this passage? I don't know if you do or not, but that's, that's okay. So Jesus can't be just a good moral teacher to you because Jesus came to bind Satan and build a house that is undivided. He came to bind Satan and build a house that's undivided. Are you in the house or not? God's kingdom is undivided. You can't be just sort of in the kingdom. There's no kind of believing in God. It's all or nothing. There's no kind of following God. You either follow him with the rest of your life or not. There's no like trying on Christianity. Like, oh, well, let me, let me try following God for a bit and just see how it goes. That's not really following him. And I recognize that that is a big step for people to go from unbelief to belief. It's actually an impossible step for people. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And if you're one who you're not sure if you believe, you're, you're trying to follow, but you know, you got lots of doubts and stuff, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying like that's where you need to stay. I'm not saying you should feel bad about that either. If you need to be shored up in your faith, you have doubts, ask Jesus to help you. Pray to him. Say, hey, God, I don't understand this. I think you're true. I'm not sure. Help me believe. I want to believe. Help me believe. Help me to follow you. And he will help you. I believe he will help you. If you ask him, and you continue to ask him, don't give up on asking him. He will help you believe. And so for us, maybe you do believe. You have confidence that Jesus, what Jesus says is true. If you're in, then you live your life for him. Not for your own desires, not for your own plans, not for your own comfort, not for your own success. You live your life for God's plans, whatever they might be, even when they don't seem like that's the way that you thought it was going to be. You define your success in life by a life lived in devotion to God, not by whether you've got a good job and a good car and a good house and um, 
you've got a good family and um, they all go to church, that's great. Those are wonderful things. But has your life been lived in devotion to God? Have you been following him? I'm not saying not a life lived perfectly, right? Not a, not a sin-free life. We can't do that. That's impossible. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our own obedience. And yet our lives should reflect the one who has saved us. So we put off pride. We put off harshness. We put off self-centeredness and put off doing things our own way. And we put on humility and gentleness and kindness and other-centeredness. Put on doing things God's way. So as we come to an end here, I think you have to ask yourself, are you in or are you out? And if you are in, are you all in? Are you following him with every ounce of your being? The answer is no, but <laughs> um, are you working towards following him, continuing in belief? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help our belief uh, and living lives for his glory. Well, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to bind Satan, to build a new kingdom that we can be part of by faith, by belief, not whether we have come from the right family or, or lived a life perfectly enough. Lord, we are all sinners. I am a sinner. And I thank you that you have come, that Jesus, you have come to earth to take our sin on the cross so that we can follow you, that we can believe in you, that we can do what you have called us to do by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us up that we might be sure in our faith, that we might believe wholeheartedly that every word you say in your scripture is true and help us to live out of that, that our belief would transcend into work, into our lives, so that they would reflect what you look like. Help us in following you. Help us to value the family that you have given us in Crossway and with other believers throughout the world, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.